No wonder our perception of beauty is distorted. No wonder our perception of ourselves is distorted. There is a picture of you that you carry around with you everywhere. It is a photo. It's a snapshot, if you will. And you carry it around with you over the course of your entire lives. It's a picture over which you had little control, little say-so, little input, yet it is a picture of you that you more than likely disdain and keep hidden. It is a picture that you have with you right now. It's in your wallet or in your purse. It is your driver's license picture. (laughs) And it is a bad picture. How do I know it is a bad picture? Because the DMV does not have the capacity to make a good picture. Though they have tried hundreds and hundreds of millions of times, they cannot get it right. A few months ago, I had the great pleasure of renewing my driver's license, and I was so happy because the picture that I have carried around in my wallet for the last five years looked like I was completely stoned. I'm not, and I don't do that, but that's what it looked like. I would hand it to the cashier at Walmart as she would uh, approve my check, and she would look at it, and then she would look at me, and then she would make comments. Uh, I'm not going to repeat. And it sort of gave me a complex. And so a few months ago, I got to renew my driver's license, and I have a new picture. And I get to carry around this picture with me until the year 2017. They... They apparently have extended the the renewal period. And fortunately for me, I no longer uh, look stoned. Uh, Now I look like a complete psychopath. It is the (laughs) worst picture on the planet of me. The truth about you and I is that if you drive, not only do you carry around a driver's license picture with you over the course of your life, but you carry around another picture of yourself. It is also a picture which many of us try to keep hidden. It's a picture which, on occasion, all of us disdain to some degree. It is the mental picture of who you are and of what you are like. It is your self-image. It is your self-esteem, if you will. Your self-image is the picture of you that is best defined by how you answer the question, what do you think people think of you? What do you believe people think of you when they think of you? Your self-image is what you think about yourself in relation to how you think others think about you. The Bible teaches that the way you and I relate to one another is hugely reflective of the way we relate to ourselves. The health of our relationships is hugely dependent on the health of us and how we view ourselves, how we feel about ourselves, how we think about ourselves. And so often, it's our self-image that gets in the way of us being able to fully engage in healthy relationships with those around us. So often, it's our self-image that gets in the way of us being able to fully engage with the God who created us. I think a convincing argument can be made that our self-image could be the single most influential and potentially damaging piece of baggage that we carry through life. An inadequate self-image, an unrealistic self-image, a self-image that is either too high or too low, actually robs us of the energy and attention that we need 
in order to relate to others in a healthy way. number of reasons for this. When our self-image is too low, we become absorbed with our inadequacies. We become even more self-centered and self-obsessed. You say, well, I thought people who were prideful, people who were conceited, people who thought too highly of themselves, self-obsessed. I think people who have low self-esteem and low self-images obsess about themselves as much, if not more, than people with over-inflated self-images. People that study such things tells us that that low self-esteem affects about 85% of all Americans to some degree. 70% of all girls age 8 to 17 say they don't measure up in some way, either in terms of their, their looks or their school performance or in terms of their relationships. Everything in our culture is designed to create discontent in you and I, in our looks, in our possessions, in our experiences, in our accomplishments, in our relationships, in the amount of money we have or make. Everything, everything in our culture, from sitcoms to billboards to advertisements, attempts to program us to be discontent with who we are and what we have. Another reason an inadequate self-image is so detrimental to our relationships is because we become more concerned with managing our image, with manipulating how others see us, than we do with being authentic and real and honest. And when we become more concerned with managing our image, when we become more concerned with managing how others perceive us than with developing our character, our insides then we begin to act and we begin to hide and we begin to manipulate and to conceal and to fake. We become more concerned with how others perceive us than who we actually are. A number of years ago, a Hawaiian company began selling little one-inch square parcels of land on the island of Maui for 10 bucks. And though it was much too small to build on, their thought process And their ad said, now people can go to their high school reunions and tell their old friends, yeah, my wife and I just bought a little property in Maui. (laughs) Obsessing about our inadequacies, as well as managing and manipulating our images, both become unscalable obstacles to the kind of relationships God desires for us and that we desire to have. So what does the Bible, what does God have to say about how we see ourselves? What does God have to say about how we should think about ourselves, how we should feel about ourselves? There's a passage in uh, the letter to the church in Rome, Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Apostle Paul's writing, he says this, he says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober uh, judgment. And then the message, uh, Eugene Peterson, he puts it this way. He says, the only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what He does for us, not by what we are and what we do for Him. So in the time this morning that remains, I want to help us begin to unpack the bag, the baggage of our self-image, our self-esteem how you perceive yourself. Now understand, how we perceive ourselves is the result of years, decades, maybe a lifetime of conditioning and training. And it will take time. It may take the rest of our lives for us to fully unpack this bag. 
But this morning, I at least, for those of us that really want to engage with God in this area, I want to at least give us a couple of handles that we can begin this process if we're serious about seeing ourselves as God sees us and worrying about that more than how the world sees us. So I want to talk just about a couple of things. And the first of them is this. How in the world do we begin to develop a healthy self-image, a healthy self-esteem? I think the first thing is this. Don't think of yourself too much. Just don't think of yourself too much. I know we shouldn't think of ourselves too highly, and I know we shouldn't think of ourselves too lowly, but the, but the truth is, a lot of us just need to stop thinking about ourselves so much. Not too highly or too lowly, but just at all. I think one of the most fascinating passages in the Bible gives us glimpses into what God really desired from the beginning human relationships to resemble. Uh, in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 1, we have the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And in the first couple of chapters, we have that story pre-sin. Pre-sin. The Bible says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. That's an amazing thing right there, that God, the God of the universe, the God who is omnipotent and omnipresent and omniscient, the God who knows everything, who is all-powerful, the God who holds the universe in His hand, He decided that He would make men and women in His image, in the image of the Trinity. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So God created man in His own image, in the image of God He created him. Male and female He created them. And the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and He breathed into His nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And he made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought the woman to the man. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Up to this point, up to the third chapter in Genesis, Adam and Eve were not aware of any guilt. They were not aware of any shame. They had never sinned up to this point. Up to this point, they took all of their cues about how to think about themselves and view themselves. They took all of their cues about how to think and view each other. They took all of their cues about how to think and view God from God. They had nothing in their paradigm, nothing in their experience to tell them otherwise. But the minute they sinned, the minute sin entered the world through them, everything changed. The fall of mankind was preceded by an inordinate heightening of their self-image. The Bible says that the serpent came to Eve and God had simply given them one rule in the garden. He said, don't touch this tree. It's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from it. And the Bible says that the serpent, Satan, came to Eve and said, you should eat of this forbidden fruit. Because the minute you eat from it, you will be like God. That's why God doesn't want you to eat from it, because you will be like Him. But if you eat of it, you will be like Him. They wanted to be like God. And at that moment, at that precise moment, they begin to think too highly of themselves. At that precise moment, they begin to think of themselves in an opposite way from the way God thought about them and from the way God intended for them to think about themselves. They begin to think of themselves in much too high a manner. Pride is the age-old sin. It's the oldest sin in the book. 
And this was the pride that led them to think too highly of themselves. How do we, how do we recognize pride in ourselves? What are the telltale signs of, of pride? One of them is vanity. Vanity. Vanity involves like a preoccupation with your appearance or your image. Think spandex. Okay? That's vanity. You know, if you go to the gym and you can only work out where there are mirrors in front of you and you watch yourself in the mirror, that's probably a good sign that you think you're here and everyone else thinks you're not. Okay? Stubbornness is another sign of pride. The verse in the book of Proverbs says, One who is often reproved yet remains stubborn will suddenly be broken beyond healing. <clears throat> pride causes us to, to, to spurn correction. It causes us to, to be defensive when someone attempts to rebuke us or to speak truth and love to us. Exclusion is another characteristic of pride in our lives. At the deepest level, pride is the choice we make to exclude God and to exclude others from the rightful place in our hearts. Pride destroys our capacity to love. And so Adam and Eve begin to view themselves in much too elevated a way because they want to be like God. But the moment they sinned, the moment that took root in their lives, the Bible says a second perversion of their self-image occurred and they begin to view themselves too lowly. In fact, um, the Bible says, then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord. They hid from the Lord. Why did they hide? Because suddenly they were shameful. They were guilty. They were sinful. And they reasoned in their mind that God, who had created them and given them everything in a perfect paradise known as Eden, God who had given them not only each other, but God who had given them Himself, this God surely could not continue to love them after they had sinned. And so they hid themselves. Their self-image plummeted when they realized what they had done. And they begin to think too lowly of themselves. You know, humility is one of those things that we all struggle with. The minute you think you're humble, you're not. The minute you think that you've got that under control, you don't. What does humility look like? Let's say someone, let's say someone comes up to you and, and offers you a compliment. They compliment the way you look. How do you respond to that? It says a lot about you as a person and how you view yourself. Do you look down at the ground and shuffle your feet and say, you know, I'm, I'm not really that attractive. The light's sort of bad in here. You can't really see me. If you could see me in the daylight, you wouldn't be saying that. That's not humility. Maybe you just boldly speak the truth. You know, I'm terribly interested in what you say. Tell me more. Let's celebrate this good news together that I am attractive. You know, that's not humility. Maybe you quote Proverbs 11.22 in order to correct the other person's superficial focus on physical appearance. Like a gold ring and a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without good sense. They won't compliment you again. <laughs> Maybe you're just direct. And you say, hush, you'll give me a swelled head. Get thee behind me, Satan. That's not humility. Maybe you just smile and say thank you. And then you're quiet. Humility is not about convincing ourselves or others that we're lowly or unattractive or incompetent or nothing. If God had wanted to create us as nothing, He could have done so. 
Humility involves a healthy self-forgetfulness. People who are humble, people who mirror Jesus in their attitudes and the way they view themselves and the way they carry themselves, just don't think of themselves too much. They don't think too highly of themselves. They don't think too lowly of themselves. But they also just don't think of themselves that much. Life is not about them. Life is not about how others perceive them. They don't try and manipulate that. They don't try and manage that. They just don't think of themselves too much. Apostle Paul writes in the book of Philippians, in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, he says, Don't be jealous or proud, but be humble and consider others more important than yourselves. Care about others as much as you care about yourselves, he says. Care about others as much as you care about yourselves. Remember Jesus in telling us what the most important commandment was, and that was to love God. He said there's a second just like it, and that's to love people. And then he says, you should love your neighbor how? As yourself. True humility is not a beating up of ourselves. It's not thinking that we're nothing. It's not seeing ourselves as unattractive and incompetent. The Bible says that a healthy self-image, a person who is healthy in the way they view themselves, just doesn't think, they don't think of themselves that much. It's not an issue, if you will. Almost without exception, when we think of ourselves too much, we will either think too highly of ourselves, we'll become conceited and arrogant, or we may veil it, with some humble words, but we're conceited to the core. Or we will become, in our own eyes, too low. And we'll beat ourselves up. And we'll assume that everyone sees us in that perverted way that we see ourselves, as warped and low and not worth much. One of the ways to not think of ourselves in those ways is simply just don't think of yourself too much. <laughs> There's a second thing I think that we need to understand and embrace, a second handle that we can grasp if we're really serious about unpacking this self-image baggage that we carry around with us, and that is this. Uh, think of yourself as God thinks of you. Don't think of yourself too much, but when you do think of yourself, think of yourself as God thinks of you. A healthy self-image is seeing yourself as God sees you, no more and no less. Because the Bible teaches that you and I are not only created in God's image, we are incredibly valuable to Him. But here's the kicker. We're not valuable to Him because of who we are or what we do. You remember when God chose the nation Israel to be His chosen people? He said, I'm going to choose you not because you're mighty in number. I'm going to choose you not because you're a great nation. I'm going to choose you because I want to choose you. It wasn't because of them that they became the promised, uh, the chosen people. It was because of God. You and I are valuable to our Heavenly Father, but it's not because of who we are or what we do. It's not because of some intrinsic value in us. So much human love these days seeks value in that which is lovely. So much human love is attracted to beauty or attracted to status or attracted to wealth or attracted to intelligence. But God's love for us actually creates the value in us on the basis of who He is. Ever since the fall, every human being has been sinful and flawed and wounded and broken and weak and unlovely. 
Just as a side note, when I said that, you thought to yourself, well, I'm not that way. That's, you think too highly of yourself? And if you thought, when I said those words, and I'll never be anything but that, you think too lowly of yourselves? Since the fall, we have been wounded. We have been flawed. We have been unlovely in our very character, in our very nature. But we have not been unloved. God said, I will create value in you because I'm the one creating it. And God made a conscious decision to love you and I in spite of our unloveliness. And when we stop running from God and instead run to God, He accepts us and He forgives us and He loves us even though we're unlovely, even though we're flawed, even though we're sinful and broken and wounded. God did not create us out of some need that He had. God created us out of His love. C.S. Lewis writes the following. He says, God, who needs nothing, loves into existence holy superfluous creatures in order that He may love and perfect them. God doesn't need us. He didn't need to create us. He created us. And in creating us, He breathed value into us by His love for us. Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, He says, while we were still weak, at just the right time, God died for us. He died for the ungodly. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for. And we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice. But God proves His love for us in that while we were of no use to Him, Christ died for us. We need to understand how God sees us because it's only in understanding how God sees us and then thinking about ourselves in that light that we can ever get rid of the baggage of self-esteem that trips us up, that weighs us down, that burdens us. Listen to what what God thinks about you and I. King David wrote this in Psalm 139. He says, God, investigate my life. Get all the facts firsthand. I'm an open book to you. Even from a distance, you know what I'm thinking. You know when I leave and you know when I get back. I'm never out of your sight. You know everything I'm going to say before I start the first sentence. I look behind me and you're there. Then up ahead and you're there too. Your reassuring presence coming as well as going. This is too much, David says. This is too wonderful for me. I can't take it all in. Oh yes, you shaped me first inside and then out. You formed me in my mother's womb and I thank you, high God. You're breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made bit by bit. How I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life, all prepared before I'd even lived one day. Your thoughts of me, how rare, how beautiful. God, I'll never comprehend them. I couldn't even begin to count them any more than I could count the sand of the sea. Oh God, let me rise in the morning and live always with you. That's the way God sees you. That's the way God views you. 
And when we go through our days, when we go through our days dragging around the baggage of an unrealistic or inadequate self-image, worried, obsessing over how others think of us or see us or view us, we are basically saying to God, God, you're wrong. You're wrong. But God's not wrong. God has breathed value into every single one of us. And we need to begin thinking of ourselves in that way. Not too highly, not too lowly, not too much. But thinking of us as He thinks of us. There's a third handle I think that we need to understand in order to, to, to begin unpacking the baggage of our self-image. And that is this. We need to make knowing Christ our ultimate goal, not a healthy self-image. We need to make knowing Christ our ultimate goal, not having a healthy self-image. I can lose myself for hours in bookstores. They're one of my favorite places on the planet. And it's been interesting over the years to see how different types of books have gotten more shelf space or less shelf space as the years have passed. If you spend any time in bookstores, you'll know that if you go to the magazine section in bookstores these days, how large is the magazine section in most bookstores? It's huge. It takes up like a whole wall of the bookstores because a lot of people don't read anymore. We like to look at pictures. So magazines are popular. And then you look at other biography sections. The biography section has grossly shrunk down. You look at the comic book section. Can't find Spider-Man in bookstores anymore. Can't find the Fantastic Four or Superman or Batman. But you go to the self-help section. You go to the self-improvement section of most big bookstores, and it takes up an entire wing, which says two things. One, there's an awful lot of messed up people on the planet. And two, those messed up people want to get not messed up. Somehow, some way. But in spite of all the focus and all the books and all the advice and all the talk shows and all the help on how to help ourselves, the truth is, it's only in Christ that we can get healthy. Oh, you may think you're healthy apart from Christ. You're not. I thought I was healthy apart from Christ. I wasn't. I struggled being healthy with Christ. It's impossible to be the person you were created to be apart from Jesus because God never intended from Genesis 3 on for you to be apart from Jesus. There's a huge piece of the puzzle missing if you are not in Christ. And so our ultimate goal in life should not be a healthy self-esteem. It should be knowing Jesus. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm all for I'm all for dealing with the baggage that we drag around with us over the course of our lives. That's what this series is about. I'm all for self-improvement and reaching our potential and pursuing physical and emotional and mental and relational and spiritual health. I'm all for that. But that can never be our ultimate goal. Christ has to be our ultimate goal. Otherwise, everything else falls short. Otherwise, we're simply putting a coat of paint on that which is flawed and wounded and broken and unlovely. 
Paul says in the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, he's talking about a mystery that has been hidden for ages, but that has now been revealed. And this mystery, this secret, he says, is revealed to those who follow God. And the mystery is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You were created for a relationship, not just with each other. You were created for a relationship with your heavenly Father, first and foremost. And until you get your relationship with your heavenly Father right, you will never get relationships with others right. It will never happen. You think it will, it will not. I think it will, it will not. Because our ultimate purpose on this planet is to know our Savior, is to know the one who has breathed life into us and who has breathed value into us and who has breathed beauty and loveliness into us even in the midst of our unloveliness. Apart from Christ, we will always think of ourselves too highly or too lowly. Apart from Christ, we will always care more about what others think about us than what God thinks about us. It is only in relationship with Christ that we can begin to unpack this self-image bag and see ourselves as God sees us. And as followers and friends of Jesus, we of all people have reason to be the most confident and the most hopeful and the most healthy people on the planet. So don't think too much about yourself. Don't think of yourself too much. Don't think of yourself too high. Don't think of yourself too low. Don't think of yourself too much. Rather, think of yourself. View yourself. See yourself. Feel about yourself as God does. And make knowing Christ your ultimate goal. Not having a healthy self-image. In just a few minutes, the band's going to come back up and... Sing another song for us, but I want to read something first. This is from Max Lucado. He writes the following in one of his books. He says, God is fond of you. If God had a wallet, your photo would be in it. If he had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. He sends you flowers every spring and a sunrise every morning. Whenever you want to talk, God will listen. He can live anywhere in the universe and he chose your heart. He's crazy about you. By the way, it may be difficult for you to believe that God knows your name, but He does. Written on His hands, spoken by His mouth, whispered by His lips, your name. He writes in Isaiah, I have your name written on my hand. Our hearts are not large enough to contain the blessings that God wants to give us. So try this. The next time a sunrise steals your breath or a meadow of flowers leaves you speechless, remain that way. Say nothing and listen as heaven whispers. To you, do you like it? I did it just for you. If we were to give gifts to show our love, how much more would God give us gifts? He would have left the world flat and gray, but He didn't. He splashed orange in the sunrise and cast the sky in blue. And if you love to see geese as they gather, chances are you'll see that also. Did He have to make the squirrel's tail furry? Was he obliged to make the birds sing? Why give a flower fragrance? Why give food its taste? Could it be that he just loves the look on your face and my face? 
Lucado writes, So promise me you'll never forget that you aren't an accident or an incident. You are a gift to the world, a divine work of art signed by God. You were knit together. You weren't mass produced. You aren't an assembly line product. You were deliberately planned, specially gifted, and lovingly positioned on this earth by the master craftsman. He thinks you are the best thing to come down the pike in quite a while. Turn, turn to the sidelines. That's God cheering your run. Look past the finish line. That's God applauding your steps. God is for you. Had He a calendar, your birthday would be circled. If He drove a car, your name would be on its bumper. If there's a tree in heaven, He's carved your name in the bark. Maybe you don't want to trouble God with your hurts. But God cares about you. He's waiting for you to embrace you whether you succeed or fail. Your heavenly Father is so fond of you, and He only wants to share His love with you. Untethered by time, God sees us all, vagabonds and ragamuffins all. He saw us before we were born, and He loves what He sees. Flooded by emotion, overcome by pride, the star maker turns to us one by one and says, You are my child. I love you dearly. I'm aware that someday you'll turn away from me. I'm aware that someday you'll walk away. But I want you to know I've already provided a way back for you you have captured the heart of God he cannot bear to live without you God's dream is to make you right with him and the path to the cross tells us exactly how far God will go to call us back can anything make me stop loving you God asks you wonder how long my love will last watch me speak your language watch me sleep on your earth and feel your hurts Find your answer on a splintered cross on a craggy hill. That's how much I love you. God does more than forgive our mistakes. He removes them. We simply have to take them to Him. You can talk to God because God listens. Let a tear appear on your cheek and He is there to wipe it. He has sent His angels to care for you, His Holy Spirit to dwell in you, His church to encourage you, and His Word to guide you. And as much as you want to see Him, He wants to see you more. If you want to touch God's heart, then use the name He loves to hear. Call Him Father. Call Him Father. So much of how we think about ourselves comes from everything around us, from everyone around us. But what if we could start seeing ourselves as God sees us? What if we could start viewing ourselves as He views us? That's the way we begin to unpack this bag known as our self-image. I'm going to pray and then the band's going to come up and sing for us once more. Father, thank You for our time together this morning. The truth about most of us here is that We are far too acquainted with hiding and concealing and manipulating and faking and acting because we either think too much or too little of ourselves. We just ask very humbly this morning that You would help us think of ourselves, that You would help us view ourselves as You do. That we would begin to see the value that You have placed in us. And that in spite of our brokenness and in spite of our woundedness and in spite of our unloveliness and in spite of our flaws, 
that you accept us just as we are. And in Christ, in Christ, you make us lovely. We love you this day. May you grow us in this area and may we once and for all unpack this bag known as our self-image. And though it's a bold thing to ask, may you help each person in this room live the rest of our lives seeing ourselves as you see us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.